0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Two percent, two percent, two percent.
2: The two percent's right over here.
1: Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah,
2: anything to support local food, know what I mean?
1: I definitely do, though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously.
2: Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in.
1: All right, gotta get the plug in there, I get it.
2: Yep, I'm hashtag shameless.
1: You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right?
2: Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer
3: food radio station.
1: That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, the Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats—those are shows that take you around the country and the world.
2: I'll give you that. So, how can listeners give their support?
1: It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks! Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing is a celebration of good food and beverages in the newly restored Barn Loft event venue at Nettle Meadow Farm in Thurman, New York. On Saturday, June 18th, come sample and savor, then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home. Nettle Meadow cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the American Cheese Society. Taste samples of goat and sheep cheese is paired with an array of local regional wines, beers, and ciders. You'll never forget your first sample of rich, creamy Kunik, Nettle Meadows' trademark cheese. In Esquire, our very own Anne Saxelby said, Kunick, it may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks, between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Limbiase and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in nineteen ninety, and it's the home of over three hundred goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the cheese and spirits pairing is Saturday, June eighteenth. For more information and tickets, visit That's Nettle Meadow Cheese and Spirits dot com. That's N E T T L E Meadow Cheese and Spirits dot com.
4: This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork dot org for thousands more. all right thank you for tuning in to the heritage radio network we are coming to you as always from the back of roberta's pizza here in bushwick brooklyn and it is a lovely day and i hope wherever you are tuning in from it is lovely as well i of course am your host aaron fairbanks and you are listening to the farm report this week i am bringing you another very special recording um I wanted to share with you a panel that I moderated this past April, Sunday, April 10th. I was really honored to be part of the um, Cherry Balm Jubilee. The Cherry Balm Jubilee is an annual gathering of amazing women in food. It's a full day of talks and networking and, of course, really delicious food um, and really a coming together of some of my favorite women in food. If you are interested in this topic, I definitely recommend checking out the magazine, Cherry Bomb, or listening to Radio Cherry Bomb right here on the Heritage Radio Network. What follows is a recording of a panel that I hosted entitled, So You Want to Be a Farmer. And to avoid being redundant, um, we're going to jump right in. I was introduced that day by the lovely Sierra Tishgart. Sierra is a senior editor at New York Mag, and you're going to hear her intro, and then we'll jump right into the panel. So enjoy.
5: Okay, on to the next panel. Wasn't that fantastic, though? Yes. <laughs> I'm Sierra Tishkart. I am the senior editor of New York Magazine. I'm also a proud contributor to Cherry Bomb. Who else writes for Cherry Bomb here? Raise your hand. Give it up for you as well. Our next panel is called So You Want to Be a Farmer. And I'd like to welcome to the stage Leah Peniman of Soul Fire Farm. Kate Baldwin and Amanda Moreau of Amber Waves Farm. Molly Culver of the Youth Farm, Laura Ferreira of Westwind Orchard, and our moderator is Erin Fairbanks, who many of you know is the executive director of Heritage Radio. But, yes. <laughs> but what I actually didn't know about Erin is that she's the perfect person to have this conversation. And she spent a year working at Flying Pigs Farm raising hogs, and while there she ran a program called Farm Camp where she brought in New York chef's and producers to learn about the agriculture infrastructure. So she really has this great on-the-ground experience. Um, She's also hosted a program on heritage called the Farm Report since 2010, where she interviews legislators, farmers, advocates for for this amazing work. Um, So I'm excited to hear what they have to say. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you.
4: Awesome. Um... Let's see. About 10 years ago, I sat up in my futon um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and realized there was a stack of food books uh, in bed with me, on the floor next to me, and I had a moment where I was like, maybe you don't want to go to law school. (laughs) And I was like, I want to work in food, but what does that even mean? Like, what are the jobs? Like, what are the things that you can do? And so I made a short list. I was going to work in a kitchen for a year and become a master chef. Um, I was gonna do a year of like, advocacy and nonprofit work and learn how to change the world. And I was gonna spend a year on a farm and know everything there was to know about farming and agriculture. Um, and like many 24-year-olds, I, um, my appetite, my understanding of like, how much there was to learn um, didn't really match up, and I remember the first day I arrived at Flying Pigs Farm up in Shushan, New York, I got out of the truck and was like, holy shit, what am I doing here? Um, and so I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about um, moving forward on things, even when you're not exactly sure what you're doing, and we're going to start with you, Molly. I'm wondering, why do you think people are attracted to farming?
3: Um. Is this on? Okay. So that's a really big question. Um, I think in a nutshell, people are attracted to farming like I was um, because they feel like something is broken. Um, They feel either burnt out. And I, I see a lot of people come through the training program that I run at the youth farm and also at Farm School NYC, which is a urban school for learning how to farm. Um, they come out. They come because they're burnt out and they miss connection with nature. They're tired of being at their desk. Um, coupled with they love food and we're all New Yorkers, we love food. And um, they want to take that desire to understand the farmer to another level. They want transparency. They want to understand how food is grown. Um, they want to make that connection for themselves, which is really a radical one. But I think... Deep down, it's really about connecting to something that is something we've been doing for thousands of years. This is nothing new. Um, it's not like us up here are doing something <laughs> original. Um, it's just a very human urge to connect to land and to connect to soil, connect to food. Um, it shouldn't be a privilege, uh, and and there are a lot of hardships involved as well. But it is a privilege to be a farmer, and I think it's a really natural desire to want to connect.
4: Leah, I, I've heard that um, farming without an economic imperative is called gardening, that, um, that, that farms are, you know, a business, and that means that you do things and you make decisions differently, and I'm wondering um, if you can talk a little bit about how you see farms as a business and, and what the role of a farm is.
6: Sure. Well, you're right. I mean, the USDA defines a farm as grossing over $1,000 in crops, which you could easily do out of a garden space. Um, Our farm has a joint mission of both being a business, but also serving a food justice imperative. And so we run everything through a subscription program that our members affectionately call their Netflix for vegetables. And (laughs) we deliver, you know, a box of food every week that includes vegetables, fruits, and a protein source, and we only serve low-income families in food desert neighborhoods. And the way that we're able to do that is by bringing in um, money on the side through educational programming. So there's a joint business, nonprofit, food justice model, but through that we are able to provide 80 to 100 families who would not have fresh food with this doorstep delivery of abundant, organically grown, you know, wonderful produce, and then also be able to advocate and educate in the community
4: as well. How, how did you know you were allowed to do it like that?
6: It was really, uh, there weren't, was not a model for that, we really responded to community need. I've been farming since I was a teenager, I was one of those lost Urban kids that didn't know who I was, and someone was trying to save. And I, you know, I, I got a summer job on a farm, and it felt like something real and rooted and grounded. And and I knew that I'd want to have a farm eventually. So after working on other people's farms, it was really the moment when our neighbors said to us, you know, we don't have any good food to eat. I was living in downtown Albany. It's a food desert neighborhood with no grocery stores. Like, will you grow food for us? And we made it work for that particular community. And the same thing with all of our training programs for farmers and our work with youth. The community asked us to do it, and we responded using you know, our heart and intelligence. So we weren't following a model. We were just listening.
4: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Um, Katie, I want to talk a little bit about um, land access, which is like one of the biggest barriers for people who are getting started in farming. And you guys got access to your land in kind of a unique way and I'm wondering if you can tell us what that was. Sure. Uh,
2: So to provide context to where we are farming on the east end of Long Island in the village of Amagansett, um, so the land values in considered the Hamptons is is extraordinarily high. Um, So For a new and beginning farmer, um, your options to access land is to lease land, either from a private landowner or the Peconic Land Trust, in our case, um, has been actively working to conserve farmland um, so we don't get totally blown out by McMansions out there. Uh, So we are currently working uh, with the town of East Hampton and lease land from them. And we also lease from our local land trust and then there are also there's a deep history of agriculture in East Hampton where um, you have farming families that have been in the business for 15 or sixteen generations um, that have seen an, a complete evolution of the space and and want to maintain a thoroughfare for new farmers to um, create these access points so that's often called um, land link where uh, retiring farmers are trying to connect with beginning farmers. And that's active where we are, but that's also active um, in, in New York State and in the Northeast and actually throughout the country.
4: So I have a lease for my apartment um, and it gets renewed every year. When you're leasing on a farm and you're like thinking about investing in infrastructure like uh, water lines or greenhouses, how do you know that you can do that? That you have security from year to year. That's a great question, um, and I was
2: I was reminded of, of how sometimes seemingly insane it is that Amanda and I decided just to jump in on leased land. We were on a three acre lease term or a three three year lease term. We bumped it up to five. Woohoo! Uh, we asked for ninety nine, and they were like, "That's crazy." But the idea is, like, as a farmer, you're building soil. And, uh, and and it is your currency in, in building that. And healthy soils are healthy plants for healthy people. Um, so that's really kind of what we're getting at, and that's difficult to do, um, and you have to put a lot of faith and trust in a lot of your community around you that's going to support you um, to make it seem like a good idea that you're putting a lot of time and energy and s- literally sweat equity into your soil. Um, But there are now opportunities to um, begin purchasing land, um, specifically on the East End. So we are working towards that because it's important. But um, I think as a farmer, whether you're leasing, and this is something that our mentor taught us, whether you're leasing or or owning the land, you still have the same level of responsibility. Uh, You're a steward and a caretaker of a place, and then... I think when you put that good energy into the soil, then you're, you're fed back. Um, so it's kind of weird, <laughs> um, but it's, I, I think it's just trusting also that it's gonna work out for the best.
4: Yeah, um, Amanda, kind of still on this topic of land, I think when you're thinking about going into farming, you have your kind of dream list of like, what you wanna grow and, and what it's gonna be like. And then you have the realities of the piece of property and and what it can do and what is situated there can you talk a little bit about what you thought kind of coming in and then lessons learned when you guys started actually putting stuff in the ground
7: yeah so is this on okay (laughs) um so katie and i met doing an apprenticeship around the corner from where we currently farm And we spent that season together, you know, being the lowest on the totem of just being field apprentices and we had so much time to talk about what we might like to grow and do and we really started with these fantastic ideas of having an entire having a fabric farm. So raising animals for wool and raising flax for linen and raising dye plants and going in that direction or having a pizza farm that would fill, you know, we could grow our own pizzas seemed like the most fun thing ever. Um, And so these really, these dream big conversations really... That that pizza conversation really kicked it off because we started thinking, hey, wait a minute, we can get all of the ingredients for pizza locally except for small grains. Why is no one growing small grains on Long Island? We have such a diverse food shed out there. Being close to the water, we of course have seafood and there's meat and vegetables and fruits and honey and beer and wine, but no grains. And so we set out to bring them back and we learned that um, Long Island was the first place in the United States that European settlers were growing grains, which was an exciting thing for us to figure out. Um, and so as we've gone over the last seven seasons, we've tri- you know trialed... What works with wheat? What works with rye? Oh no, the deer eat this variety. And so as a farmer, one of the most, I think, exciting and rewarding things is that you get to start your season over every year, but with new lessons from the prior year, and so we're just um, putting together what one of our young women who works with us calls her backpack of knowledge, of, of going forward. And um, so we, as we get to know our soil and our land, we're just learning about wet spots and dry spots and great areas of the soil. And then also the reality of what your customers want to buy and how you can support your community with. Do people do people want to eat locally grown wheat? Do they prefer cucumbers? What you know? How can we make a living and also do what's fun for us and, and engage the community in what we're growing and make sure that they care and are engaged.
4: Um, Laura, I feel like one of the reoccurring conversations, uh, in the city over the last month has been about the weather. It's so cold, it's so hot, it's like raining, it's freezing and like, I don't know what to wear and that's such a big problem. what 's going on at your orchard right now? How is the weather translating to the work that you guys are doing?
8: Well unfortunately, um, this year we probably lost our crop of apples um, you know due to the, to the climate, which of course has been a big um, conversation um, in the past couple of years it 's really affected what we can do on the farm so we hadn't had much snow this year, which the trees need snow in order to um, kill insects and become sweeter apples. Because it, um, the spring started so early this year, our buds were out. It snowed, which was beautiful, but the snow didn't kill the the buds. It was the frost. So the last three nights, my husband's up there making, trying to make a uh, fire around the apple trees. We're an organic apple. Um, Orchard. We don't have um, big fans to keep the trees warm. And this year we decided to invest in a sprayer instead of fans, which as a farm, you're making these decisions all the time um, where to um, put your investment. And so we decided to go with the sprayer, which was the wrong choice. And so we've lost our crop of apples. Now this has happened through the years and we've learned through trial, trial and error ourselves and through that then we try to um, save what we can. So because of that, that's how we started making jams, for instance. We lost our crop of apples, we knew we, were, we would have raspberries and we thought, well, let's make jam um, or pizza. And we started growing our own, our own vegetables um, And we decided for years we wanted a pizza oven. We're both from Italy. And my mother-in-law comes to help us three months out of the year. And we decided, well, you know, it's normal for us. We'll just make pizza. Um, So what we grow on the farm, um, zucchini blossoms, um, eggplant, kale, we use all those products on our pizza. And... um, you know, what we thought was just going to be a weekend was to have uh, food for some of the people that came to um, visit us. It turned into people just coming for pizza and to hang out and to meet other people. And so this community um, started, not just for the apples, but to exchange ideas. Um, And here we are.
4: Always coming back to pizza. I like it. Leah, when you are are using farming um, as a tool to both feed people but also to address um, race-based disparities, I'm wondering, you know, at the end of the day, the week, the year, how are you measuring your success? I mean, how do you know that you are having an impact, making a difference?
6: I was just talking to our board about this because... um, of course, it's relatively straightforward for us to determine how many pounds of food we're getting, um, you know, to a certain demographic of people, and we do that, and we can count how many youth go through our programs and their grades in school, but I feel like the biggest, the biggest outcome oftentimes, particularly for African heritage people who come through our programs, is, uh, is healing. It's really about hope and healing and belonging because there's a, a long, long history of land-based oppression through slavery, through uh, sharecropping, through people being forcibly driven off their land um, in the South. And was a big push factor in the Great Migration. And there's a lot of inherited trauma. So adults will have almost an allergic reaction to the land. And I don't do stoop work. Children will want to stay in the van with their earbuds in and their hoods pulled over. And it's this process of reintroducing our community to the land and really reclaiming that right to belong and to actually participate in the food system. Like right now, less than 1% of farmland in this country is owned by African-American people. It's it's not a historical accident. So we've been talking a lot about how do you measure that experience? You know, when when a young person comes and takes his shoes off for the first time, and feels the soil under his feet and has memories and connections with his ancestors and feels belonging and is able to smile, you know. Um, so we play around with things like the hope index or the happiness index, but really that's, it's bigger than that, you know, and we don't want to demonetize the importance of that type of land-based healing necessarily by always looking through a metric. So we tell stories also.
4: Molly, um... Why is diversity in farming important, and, and how do you kind of create that? Like, how do you set an intention around that and activate that?
3: Yeah. Um, well, you know, to speak to Leah's point, obviously, um, there's a huge lack of diversity in the farming population um, in all kinds of ways. Um, age. So... Most farmers are that own land or own an operation are over the age of 50 at this point. Um, and so we, we need younger people getting into farming. Um, as Leah pointed out, um, there is a huge lack of black, Latino farmers, other farmers of color represented in the farming population. Um, we also need more queer farmers. We need, we need farmers that essentially don't look white and male and 50. <laughs> um, and while they're great, uh, we really need, we need that diversity because that's what makes a strong food system. Um, you know, I think what we're learning as eaters is, you know, that our individual acts um, make a difference, right? Like what we buy Uh, If we buy Laura's apples, that's really important um, because it sustains her family, it helps sustain our farming heritage in this region, it helps protect our water sources because she's managing the land ecologically. All of those choices matter. And as a person with various types of privilege, white privilege, privilege of college education... Um, privilege of being right-handed, many different privileges, heterosexual, right? Um, I feel like it's my responsibility to, uh, in this community of food justice activists, to be an ally to that and opening up diversity and opportunities for people that don't look like me to farm and to to create spaces for everybody to share their resources and not necessarily to always be the teacher. Um, And so at the Youth Farm, we really Try to exemplify um, different farming traditions and really underscore the f- the idea that farming is a shared human heritage, but many cultures in many places have perfected the art of organic farming, and again, this is nothing new. Organic farming is the baseline um, of what many many cultures have done for millennia, and so just you know bringing people into that is really exciting and and remembering that this is for everyone to do, but also taking a really pointed and um, active role in opening up access to farming skills and just creating spaces for sharing that knowledge that exists, so yeah.
4: Kind of on that note, Leah, you guys run a Undoing Racism Farmer Immersion Program that is um, focusing on folks who have benefited from white privilege. And I'm just, I'm like, who, who comes to that? How, how does it, how's that going? Like, what are you talking about? What's the response of the community Ben? Sure. Well, again,
6: everything we do is really in response to people asking uh, things of us. So for many years, we've had the black and Latino farmers immersion. And that came out of us realizing that um, folks who were from the Bronx, for example, to go from that experience to a full-season apprenticeship on the farm was just too big of a step. So we needed like a, a smaller introduction in a culturally safe space where there was time for processing and looking at history and, and building community. So we developed these shorter programs for beginning farmers. But then folks who weren't black or Latino were saying, well, we wanna do something like that too that really focuses on justice and culture. And also experienced farmers were saying, we wanna do that too. So we've started to diversify our programming. Um, This is the first year where um, we're we're looking at supporting white folks in leadership in food justice and farming organizations to be able to bring an undoing oppression analysis and strategy back to their organizations. So we have a waiting list over 100 for that program. I mean, people are really, really interested in figuring out how to be anti-racist and how to change the face of farming and food uh, to be truly inclusive and equitable. And we think the best use of our limited resources is to train trainers. So we're, we're working with executive directors and managers of programs and, and learning from one another, really, in that space.
4: Katie, also um, building and bringing and creating more opportunities for, for women in farming, you guys run um, an interesting kind of internship program. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it's important and, and if you guys specifically like selected women or did women find you? Um i 'm
2: so happy to say that two of our young um, women farmers are with us, Colleen and Adrian today and, and they're a huge support system, so we have um, come out of thanks, especially thanks to you guys uh, we Amanda and I are uh, have come out of an apprenticeship program we did a training program, and this is our way um, of paying it forward because um, it, it seemed when I was getting out of my career in foreign policy, it seemed difficult to get into a career of organic farming, Um, and it was um, brought to my attention that uh, one option to do this is to take an apprenticeship and you essentially take a year to get your hands dirty on an organic farm uh, so you can learn how to be a farmer. And we felt that it um, it it was important to us to offer an apprenticeship program to allow Anybody, not just necessarily women, um, but to your point, I think women find us. And I think the current that we're hearing today is um, that's okay with us. (laughs) Women find us, and it it tends to be mostly women who want to work with us. Um, That's great. I mean, we need to grow many, many more farmers in this country. It's kind of the most important thing as farmers we should be doing is, is training more farmers as quickly as possible because we are about to go through um, a a generational shift Um, so we need the man and woman power Um, but the apprenticeship program really offers uh, you learn how to grow a tomato for sure but um, in the spirit of transparency and running a small business and a small farm business specifically we also are teaching our apprentices um, how to market the product, how to keep the books. Farmers, as we all know on this panel, and all of you in the audience especially, um, know that you wear many hats in your role, so we're farmers, but we're also trying to teach the range of skill sets according to what it means to be a farmer. Um, But it's 10 10 lady farmers this year at Amber Waves Farm. So we're we're thrilled.
4: (laughs) Nice. Um, Well, kind of, Expanding on that a little bit, Amanda, um, you know, one of the things I find um, shocking and just sad is that many farmers uh, across the country don't actually take an income for themselves. They're not actually making any money. Um, They're supporting, almost supporting, supporting their business. Um, And I'm wondering when, when you think about the operations of Of your farm and you're thinking about um, farm workers and employment like how do you start to navigate some of those conversations Um, are are you guys kind of in the black and and when you think about making additions with regards to staffing what are the like factors that make that easier or harder for you that's that's a
7: great and really
4: layered question um, that
7: could be, if you zoomed out, you could say, well, you know, a huge problem that we're facing is that the price of food is artificially low, which is steeped in the system in this country that uh, of, that's steeped in a system of slavery and cheap labor and cheap food and oppression, that's a a problem. So that's, you know, stepping back, that's certainly something that's going on. we think of our farm as a, as a for-profit and not-for-profit hybrid, so about half of the work we do is education-based work that we're fundraising for. So that's our apprenticeship program, and then also um, we have an educational director who's working with all of the local schools in our area, and we welcome children to the farm for free and offer free educational programming to the public, and... We, you know, I think one of, the, one of the exciting things about so many new farms popping up in different places is that farms can really be a reflection of their community. And where we are in the Hamptons, we have tr- the t- tremendous opportunity to do really great fundraising work to underwrite the programs um, that we want to do at the farm. And we also have, a, you know, a really savvy New York clientele that's willing to, that's willing to pay for high-quality Produce, and so between those two things, um, we're, we're lucky in that way. Um, and the fir- you know, when Katie and I started the farm, um, well, it was two—it was 2008 when we were coming out of our farming apprenticeship, and it didn't seem that scary because it felt like there were no jobs. So um, I was like, "What else are we going to do?" <laughs> um, so that first year, we paid ourselves each $2,500. And I was just looking at our books the other day. and For the year?
4: For the year. Um, year. 2500 each. For the year? For the year. <laughs> um,
7: so it was, <laughs> we just had a lot of jokes for years about tough economic times. And they were. Um, and people gave us cheap rents and we lived with other people. And we just, we kind of worked our way up and... Um, you know, farmers making living wages, not only farm executives and people in places of privilege like us who, um, you know, operate our farm and control our salaries, but also fair wages for farm laborers all over the country is a, is such a huge issue. Um, and so I'm one of the reasons that we're so transparent with our new people who are coming in and with our people who stay with us year after year is, is to try to climb them as much as we can through our, sa- through our salary ladder and um, send out people into the world of agriculture who are really pumped to hire and do great work and pay fair wages. And it, it's, it is a constant struggle.
4: Does anyone else want to jump in on that? I just want to.
8: It's okay if you don't. Um. I, I, the, the thing about having a farm and how many hats you wear. You really are like a jack-of-all-trades, a master of none. That's what I feel like a lot of the times because um, I'm really an apprentice. I I hold farmers in such high regard um, that I would never call myself a a farmer because I'm not a chemist and a scientist and a mechanic. Um, You have to have so much knowledge in order to have a farm. And the the farmers around us are, you know, 15 generation of farmers. They're not organic. Most of them are not because they can't afford to grow organic. They can't afford to lose their crop. We can because we have day jobs. We have, a, you know, we've been doing this 14 years. It was accidental, um, and you know, as the girl spoke before, yes, a passion moves you, and it moves you to create. Um, but then there's also the reality that you have to like work. You have to work hard. The shit hits the fan. You know, if you're, if you're. Um, Relying on your crops every year, and you lose your crops. Well, what do you do? Um, so we don't take a salary. You know, we we're self-financed, and all the money we make goes back into the farm. Um, so I think it's it's you know it's hard to say like okay, well, I just want to grow organic, um, or I just want to have um, a certain amount. We you know we have a very small staff. It's the three of us. It's uh, our family that comes to help, and um, our local farmers are the ones that have helped us the most. They've inspired us to um, save the trees. These were six years old, these trees. And um, they're the ones that came to help us and give us information. They still do. If a tractor breaks, Jack will come over and help my husband fix it. So I think it's important, this community of, of locals that are around you, it's not just us, but we need all the help we can get and people willing to help you if you put out the love and dedication and it's authentic. I feel like that's
4: another kind of like on her uh, statistic is the number of people who have farms but also have off-farm jobs because the farm can't support uh, a family. I want to kind of go down the line, starting with you, Leah, and um, hear from you guys um, where you go kind of for uh, nourishment, for inspiration, um, when you need to kind of get a little extra and and what you might want to share with the audience today, whether it's a painting or a book or a a saying or a personal practice, um, what kind of keeps you ticking?
6: Now you got my heart racing on this whole, like, state of agriculture and salaries. You guys should read, light reading, the USDA 2012 Agricultural Census. Like, over (laughs) 90% of farmers in the United States are making under $8,000 a year. We have a food crisis, and and we need some really smart people, like folks here, to think about how to fix that. But my sanity comes from going on a three- to five-mile run every morning at 5 a.m., no matter how dark, snowy, rainy, or hot it is. That's what I do.
2: Um, that's a great question. I uh, I am usually so tired at the end of a farming day. I don't really, oddly, like, like to cook for myself, but I'm, like, growing all this food, and it's, like, the quality of the food is extraordinary, and I just can't get beyond um, slicing a tomato, so... Sometimes that's just good enough, and that, that is just, I've, I've learned that, like, yeah, well, you put a lot of love into that tomato, so just slice that tomato and go to bed, and that's fine. Um, and in addition to that, we're fortunate enough to um, farm near the beach, and I use the ocean and um, the, the water around us as kind of a counterbalance to the boots-on-the-ground land part of my life, which is most of it, but absorbing the energy of the ocean for me is a big one.
3: Um, I guess the short answer would be petting my cat. It really calms (laughs) me down. Um, (laughs) Singing wherever, whenever I can um, really helps me. And um, this time of year always leaves me feeling incredibly crazy just because I'm managing a farm and I'm teaching and a lot of things are happening all at once. Um, but the community of people that are involved in food and farming in the city is incredibly inspiring. And I was teaching a class um, yesterday on propagation in my greenhouse and had such an amazing group of people of all walks of life um, sharing in conversation about where we want to see our food system go. And I just felt like I'm so glad that I'm here even though I'm exhausted. And Um, It's really that the community, so I encourage you all to join it. (laughs)
8: Um, I think for me, I'm just always um, aware of how how much work my family were. They were farmers in Italy, and they worked so hard to come to the United States for a better life, because farming was so difficult. And, you know, I have siblings, and we all went to college, and thought like, "Well, I'm not ever going to grow a vegetable." That I wasn't interested in that. My parents grew vegetables in our backyard in Brooklyn, and I was embarrassed of that, right? Because um, it wasn't so. I mean, now it's the greatest thing in the world, and it's the epicenter of, of urban farming. But at that time, it wasn't in the '70s. So, for me, I'm very grateful that my family has instilled in us how important food is. Food is really the center where everything else happens. And it's farming is that, it's growing a community. It's bringing other people, it's sharing love. I mean, you're growing something and you're sharing that. Um, So I think I just remind myself when things get really tough and they do, I mean, you know, I can't get anything done sometimes during the day or I think I can't, Um, but I remember that there were generations of people that worked really hard to get us here and in a way it's it's a respect and it's giving back to a community it's giving back and being grateful for what you have and growing it and maybe inspiring someone else and being inspired because i am inspired every day i would never have met the people that i meet you know at the pig farm when we're picking out pigs or the seed library Um, so i just remind myself that I'm lucky to be in this position, and it's a choice, and not everyone has a choice in life, so.
7: Um, I think, well, I'm an avid list maker, and I have them all around me, Um, and last season I started doing this. I have my regular list that's going, and then in the back of my notebook, I have like the other list that's like, just stay focused, and the thing that continually came back to me especially last season on that list of what matters the crew and our people and when I think of the first few years that Katie and I were farming by ourselves we couldn't buy anything the first year and we were using like five gallon buckets we didn't have a tractor or knives or we just didn't know what we were doing and I look around at our tremendous crew of 10, um, many of whom have traveled across the country and left their jobs because they feel this pull to agriculture. And they have come to be with us and to be taught by us. And I'm so honored by their commitment of time and so excited about the energy that they're putting in that it just feeds me. And I I get excited to keep going. And I just have so much gratitude for that partnership and collaboration. That that if I can just focus on that in the back of my notebook of what matters, the crew,
4: then keeps me grounded. Um, You guys are amazing and inspiring, and thank you so much. Wow. That was definitely an inspiring group of women. Um, I really hope that you in, enjoyed the chat. Like I said, if you want to hear more from leaders like this, um, amazing women in food, definitely check out Radio Cherry Bomb. It's every Thursday here on the Heritage Radio Network at one o'clock. It, of course, like the Farm Report and all our shows, is available for free. That's right. Uh, it's a. As an iTunes download uh, via Stitcher, via our website. If you like our work, if you dig um, promoting women in food like this, women farmers, definitely think about throwing a little cash our way. You can um, become a member today. Visit www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click that beating heart. Toss us a few bucks. It, it really means a lot. You can find me, Aaron Fairbanks, on social media. I'm Aaron underscore Fairbanks on instagram twitter and as of this past weekend snapchat um lots going on on the snaps guys it's a new thing for me so we'd love to hear from you either way uh if you like the show if you don't like the show um you know leave us a review let us know what you want to hear more of less of and definitely check out radio cherry bomb thanks so much for listening stay tuned in